Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Enhancing Neoadjuvant and Adjuvant Treatment in Resectable Melanoma. Is timing the key to improving outcomes? To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Merkin Company, Incorporated. My name is Dr. Sepna Patel. I'm a melanoma medical oncologist and chair of the SWOG Melanoma Committee. Today, we'll be talking about neoadjuvant and adjuvant immunotherapy for patients with resectable melanoma. Let's evaluate the U.S. guidelines for adjuvant therapy in patients with resectable melanoma. While localized melanoma may be cured with surgery in its early stages, some patients are at risk of recurrence. And that recurrence can be as high as 50 to 70% for stage 3 disease and 40% for stage 2 disease. In this patient population, adjuvant immunotherapy or targeted therapy aims to reduce the risk of recurrence in order to improve survival. Current systemic therapeutic options for patients with stage 3 disease include adjuvant immune checkpoint inhibitor with PD-1 inhibitors such as pembrolizumab or nivolumab, or targeted therapy for patients with the BRAF V600 activating mutation with dibrafenib and trametinib. Since adjuvant ipilimumab is associated with a high rate of immune-related adverse events, ipilimumab is no longer a top-line recommendation. For stage 2 disease, the current systemic therapeutic options include adjuvant pembrolizumab based on the Keynote 716 study, and with the emergence of the Checkmate 76K data, adjuvant nivolumab will likely be added to these guidelines once it receives FDA approval. However, patients with stage 2 melanoma with an activating BRAF mutation do not currently have a targeted therapy option. There are some limitations of adjuvant immunotherapy. While it reduces the risk of recurrence by up to 50%, there is no significant improvement in overall survival as yet. SWOG S1404 was the first adjuvant anti-PD-1 study to report overall survival, and it is not significant. Checkmate 915 showed that adjuvant ipilimumab plus nivolumab did not improve recurrence-free survival compared to nivolumab alone, and it significantly increased toxicity. So this highlights the fact that in the adjuvant setting, more may not actually give you more. In the next session, we'll discuss the rationale for a neoadjuvant-adjuvant approach in further detail in order to improve patient outcomes in resectable melanoma. Let's discuss the rationale for a neoadjuvant-adjuvant approach in order to improve patient outcomes in resectable melanoma. Neoadjuvant immunotherapy is approved for use in combination with chemotherapy in triple negative breast cancer and non-small cell lung cancer. It's also being investigated in phase three studies across a wide range of cancers. The goals of neoadjuvant immunotherapy are different than the goals of adjuvant therapy. In neoadjuvant immunotherapy, you're hoping to diversify and amplify an immune system and generate that immune system against microscopic cancer that you've left in place for a short period of time. As a result, you can eradicate distant metastases and prolong recurrence-free survival. The goal is not necessarily to shrink the tumor. It's not to generate a radiographic response or downstage a tumor or make surgery easier for the surgeon. Immunotherapy focuses on the immune system. The goal of adjuvant therapy after tumor has been removed is to decrease the rate of recurrence and prolong survival. 
And it does this by eliminating micrometastasis. The immune system's ability to recognize and activate against micrometastasis might be lesser than the ability to activate against in-place macroscopic tumor. The biologic rationale for neoadjuvant immunotherapy is to activate many different types of T-cells by leaving the tumor in place. We're generating more anti-tumor T-cells that then go off into the circulation to populate and traffic into microscopic tumors. And while that immune system takes time to learn and traffic to a tumor, the tumor may grow, it may shrink, it may stay the same size. It's not clear yet that the use of neoadjuvant immunotherapy decreases the need for adjuvant therapy in general, but that would be the goal. The mechanism behind neoadjuvant immunotherapy and melanoma was demonstrated in the pilot OPASIN trial, where 20 patients with macroscopic stage 3 melanoma were randomized to surgery first and adjuvant immunotherapy for two cycles of combination immunotherapy followed by surgery and two more cycles the group that received neoadjuvant immunotherapy expanded more T-cells in circulation than the group that went to surgery first. They not only amplified a more diverse immune cell population in circulation, they generated more new clones of T-cells than were present at baseline. This trial was not powered to demonstrate any clinical difference or clinical benefit between the two groups but simply proved the principle behind neoadjuvant immunotherapy generating a boosted immune response in circulation. The OPASIN-NEO trial followed the OPASIN trial. OPASIN-NEO essentially optimized different regimens of neoadjuvant immunotherapy to choose the regimen that showed efficacy with the least toxicity. In the next session, we'll review the latest efficacy data of the neoadjuvant-adjuvant immunotherapy approach and the clinical significance of these data. Let's review the latest efficacy data of the neoadjuvant-adjuvant immunotherapy approach. We designed the randomized phase two SWOG S1801 study to test the hypothesis that giving neoadjuvant-adjuvant immunotherapy would improve clinical outcomes compared to in the adjuvant setting alone. Patients with clinically detectable stage 3B to 4 melanoma were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to either the adjuvant arm where they received surgery followed by 18 doses of flat-dose pembrolizumab every three weeks or the neoadjuvant arm where they received three doses of pembrolizumab before surgery followed by 15 doses after surgery. The primary endpoint was event-free survival, and S1801 noted that patients in the neoadjuvant-adjuvant group had an improved event-free survival compared to those who received adjuvant-only pembrolizumab. This resulted in a two-year event-free survival of 72% compared to 49%. When we look at a waterfall plot, we tend to look at who generated complete and partial responses. And while this is important, we will often discount those on the left side of the curve, thinking that those who had an increase in their tumor did not generate benefit from treatment. But remember, we know with immunotherapy, you're growing an immune system. In that case, the tumor can sometimes grow or stay the same size during that early period of time. It really doesn't matter if the tumor enlarges in response as long as it's still able to be removed. Look at a neoadjuvant trial and ask the question, how many patients could not go to surgery due to toxicity from the neoadjuvant regimen? In S1801, it was exceedingly low, less than two or so percent of patients missed surgery due to toxicity. Also think about who missed surgery due to development of metastatic disease. 
it's not necessarily a failure of systemic therapy if a patient goes on to develop distant metastatic disease before going to surgery. It tells you something about their biology. There are a couple of completed phase two trials of neoadjuvant and adjuvant immunotherapy in resectable melanoma. One of them is the PRADO study, and this actually allowed for the change in adjuvant therapy to either immunotherapy or targeted therapy based on pathologic response. And the phase two nivolumab or latlimab study. Pathologic response is a great clinical trial endpoint for these studies, but is not an endpoint for making real-world decisions. The NADINA trial is a randomized phase three trial of two doses of neoadjuvant flip dose combination immunotherapy compared to adjuvant immunotherapy. This trial should have results in the next couple of years. In the next session, we'll review the safety data for neoadjuvant adjuvant immunotherapies and resectable melanoma and discuss proactive strategies to manage typical treatment-related adverse events in patients receiving immune checkpoint inhibitors. Let's discuss proactive strategies to manage typical treatment-related adverse events in patients receiving immune checkpoint inhibitors. Combination immunotherapy, in general, carries more toxicity than single-agent PD-1. Because of that, we are still optimizing regimens in the neoadjuvant setting. The optimal neoadjuvant regimen would balance toxicity with efficacy. And we're still determining what is our marker for efficacy. Of course, a clinician can use things like disease recurrence, melanoma progression as their clinical efficacy. In neoadjuvant trials, we like the use of things like pathologic response, but recognize that this is not a real-world endpoint that can be readily used by pathology teams. Managing immune toxicities in the neoadjuvant setting is important. We certainly don't want to miss a surgical window due to immune toxicity, but we know based on the kinetics of immune-related adverse events associated with immunotherapies that there are certain toxicities that might occur after even a single dose of immunotherapy, such as rash, arthralgias, colitis, paritis, and there are others that are seen with more extended use. In the neoadjuvant setting, it's important to get a hold of those early toxicities and proactively manage things that we know can derail the timing of surgery. Managing immune-related toxicities is typically done by grading and following published algorithms such as the NCCN for immunotherapy adverse events. The patient could experience toxicity that might complicate, delay, or even preclude their curative surgery. Additionally, we cannot forget the subclinical adrenal insufficiency can have developed in the early use of neoadjuvant immunotherapy. So it's important to communicate with the surgeon that your patient has received neoadjuvant immunotherapy and check a preoperative ACTH and cortisol to make sure that they're not trending towards adrenal insufficiency. The other concern is that disease progression can occur before surgery. This may alter the extent of surgery, or it can actually lead to the development of metastatic disease. In the case of metastatic disease, it's unclear that surgery first would have changed the natural biology of that tumor if systemic therapy did not. So the development of metastatic disease during the neoadjuvant period speaks to the need in some patients, fortunately it's a small number of patients, who might actually need a stronger or escalated neoadjuvant regimen. Certainly if surgery is missed altogether, then the melanoma may actually metastasize. In the next session, we'll discuss which patients may be considered for neoadjuvant adjuvant immunotherapy based on the available clinical data. Let's discuss which patients may be considered for neoadjuvant adjuvant immunotherapy based on the available clinical data. 
The neoadjuvant trials to date have included patients with clinically detectable and resectable melanoma that typically will be stage 3B and up. And of course, you can go all the way up to oligometastatic stage four that a surgeon says is resectable. Somebody with autoimmune disease, solid organ transplant, maybe a bone marrow transplant or certain hematologic malignancies may not be eligible to receive neoadjuvant therapy safely consider that current clinical trial data suggests that if there's a population for whom you are already considering adjuvant therapy, so a patient has 3B disease, they've not yet gone to surgery, but you're considering very strongly giving them adjuvant PD-1 after that surgery, it's worth probably a multidisciplinary discussion saying, why not give that patient neoadjuvant and adjuvant immunotherapy and swing a few of those doses before surgery. And this may actually turn into benefit, not only in the recurrence-free, but also the overall survival setting compared to adjuvant therapy administration alone. And remember, those tumors may not necessarily shrink on treatment. That may be unsettling to patients. In this case, it's probably important to reiterate that the purpose of neoadjuvant immunotherapy is to shore up a stronger immune response. And what we don't yet know from the data is we can be de-escalating surgery. That is, of course, some of the issue with the Prado trial. There were a few recurrences in that group of patients with major pathologic response who did not go on to have a therapeutic lymphonodissection. So we're probably not yet ready to de-escalate the surgery and the adjuvant therapy with the data that we have so far. So what do we know about neoadjuvant adjuvant immunotherapy? We know the rationale behind the use of preoperative immunotherapy, and we have randomized clinical trial data for efficacy in clinically detectable, resectable stage three to four melanoma. But we have a lot of unknowns. We don't yet know if we can do neoadjuvant therapy for stage two disease. We don't know the duration of neoadjuvant therapy. We certainly don't know the optimal neoadjuvant regimen, one that would balance toxicity with clinical efficacy. And we do not yet know if there's a scenario in which we can de-escalate surgery or eliminate it altogether, or how do you use something like a pathologic response in the real world to guide your further treatment. We hope this topic of neoadjuvant adjuvant therapy in the melanoma space is useful. We find it to be a really exciting space. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.